It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Introducing Built to Last, a new podcast by American Express. I'm Elaine Welteroff, and I'm excited to host the debut season where we will be deep diving into the stories, history, and continued legacy of small businesses that shape American culture. Through these important conversations, we'll hear how the Black business leaders of our past have inspired today's Black-owned small businesses and communities. Join us for the debut season of Built to Last on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We are a week away from the NFL draft, if you're listening to this on Thursday anyway. Today, of course, is schedule release day, and we have a scant few details at the time of recording for the Bengals schedule. We'll talk about that a little bit more on tomorrow's podcast, because the full schedule will be out when we record that one. What we do know is that the Bengals will play the Rams at Wembley Stadium in London on October 27th. And fortunately, for me being on the West Coast, the game will kick off at 1 p.m. Eastern time, which means for me it's at the regular time, 10 in the morning for me, 1 in the afternoon for everybody in Cincinnati. That is also week 8 and considered an away game for the Bengals. Which is great, because the last time the Bengals had to play in London, it was a home game, which... I think local fans hate. I, I get that they have to do it. But the international... Maybe we should talk about this. What do you think about the international games? Uh, and we'll get to that in just a second. The, the one other thing of note there, since it is in week eight, that means the Bengals' bye comes on week nine. Perfect split for the season. Eight games yeah. before, eight games after the bye. I like that. Now, I personally, I I hate when you get a bye week and I don't know if they still do it, but remember they used to be week four and they still do week four buys. They, they do. Most of the buys are, are they're concentrated around the middle of the the middle of the season, but there are yeah. a couple teams like four teams or three teams. Uh, it can't be three teams, four teams maybe that have week week four buys and then six maybe that have week. I don't know. I only remember this from from fantasy football related things. Yeah, that's right. That, that's the only time I care about the bye week, but yeah. unless it's you know your team, uh, right. and so that's good. It'll put their bye week in the middle. But as for the international games, I, I love it personally. I think it's a great way to grow the product and the reach. And there are a lot of fans, surprisingly, now that we're in the internet age fully, completely, you find there's so many fans around the world that not only like football, but they may even like the Bengals. There's a huge representation of Bengals fans over in the UK and give them the opportunity to see their team. I think that's, that's excellent. Plus, yeah, if it's a team that's struggling to sell out at home anyways, which currently the Bengals and the Rams do, then then while this is an away game for the Bengals still, it helps 
to grow that for and really you're not missing an opportunity and I know some fans who have a season tickets with let's say the Rams in this case they may feel slighted that they're going to miss a game but at the same time uh, you get they got to look bigger picture and this is a sacrifice a personal sacrifice that would benefit your team in the long run yeah I, I get that like it's good for the NFL internationally it's growing a brand it's great for the people in London and wherever else they play actually the all of the international games were released let me see if i can find it here it is uh there are four games in london and one game in mexico chicago at raiders is the first london game on october 6th the next week is carolina at tampa then bengals at rams a couple weeks later on october 27th these are all teams that struggle to sell out uh, especially the home teams well no the raiders sell out they're still in oakland yeah, for now. Right. But I think there's uh, games that dump, so maybe that's why they're doing it. Could be. Uh, and the last one is the Texans at the Jaguars. The Jaguars go over every year. Yep. Uh, and then the Mexico game is Kansas City at the Chargers. So the Chargers, again, they, they don't sell out all their home games. And yep. there is, you know, they're sort of close to Mexico, South, yeah. Southern California. So that makes sense then to, to pick those teams, especially the ones that are hosting. I think the best matchup might be the Bengals and the and the Rams, right? I mean, if the Rams, the, if the Bengals are any good, sure. And Chiefs, Chiefs, Chargers, come on. You're right. I didn't think about that. I was thinking just the London games, as you were saying it when you were done with the when you were done with that fourth game. I was like, oh yeah, that's the best matchup. I guess Jags, Texans can be good. Bears, Raiders biased. might be good too because the Raiders I'm being completely biased. Yeah, you, you suck. the the, the Bears <laughs> The Bears were a playoff team last year, and the Raiders just signed like. $100 million worth of free agents. And when I yeah, say $100 million, is, I mean for this year, not for... They probably spent a lot more than that in total money. I don't know if you listen or watch uh, uh, Good Morning Football at all. And a couple weeks ago, they said this is the most exciting Bengals offseason in a decade. And yeah, I kind that, of bought that into that. Because that's... Uh, yeah, sure. New coach. Right. New start, new fresh. I mean, anything, anything and everything could change in how they operate and conduct themselves and handle themselves. And that's probably the most exciting thing possible, right? Yeah, it is exciting. I just, I, I need them to prove to me that anything's going to be different. So far, it's, it seems like business as usual to me. Maybe business worse than usual. Zach Taylor keeps talking about this. Do you buy this? Zach Taylor keeps talking about this. He, yesterday, they did a town hall meeting with season ticket holders. And, and Zach Taylor keeps talking about... I don't think it's a, a negative that I was the last coach hired because we didn't have any competition when we were hiring coaches. He keeps talking about, you know, how easy it was to just go through everybody because there weren't other teams trying to, to vie for interviews at the same time. I think that that's a, a that's real a positive spin, shit, right? Uh, yeah, I, I don't come close to buying it. Yeah, there's no competition because all the guys are going to be competition for are already hired, and the college coaches you brought in. Some of them, cho- you know, what, what was the guys at Grantham chose to yeah. stay, stay at college. So you did have competition from his own team. And other guys that you tried to bring in, the Ohio State co-defensive coordinator, uh, some of the other team assistants decided, no, we're not going to even take the interview. Yeah, I don't – it doesn't mean their coaches that they decided on are going to be bad. And, you know, it, you can hire the first coach and end up with the, with the wrong guy. You can be like the Colts yeah. previous year where you get Reich and you end up with the right guy. So – yeah. No, I don't, you know, I, that's what he should have said, <laughs> if anything. Yeah, I, I think it's, 
It's it's fine, right? Like it's not a big deal. I, I don't want to harp on this and harp on the coaching search again, but yeah, it's it's a weird talking point that he keeps coming back to. I think, and it's you know, instead of that, just be like, you know, I guess he said this too. We got the right guys. He they have guys. He's very confident in, obviously. So I, I thought the comment about the defensive line coaches. Uh, he said that right. He said multiple coaches on defensive line, but he said that room has been fun and interesting, and and he likes the work they're putting forward. Oh, and yeah. we've talked about the different types of we've said you know are are they kind of like a multiple front especially with the front seven uh, so it'd be, about it. yeah it'd be interesting to see how that meshes together because some of the coaches they've gotten are definite three four type guys yeah yeah and we talked about that when they hired him right we thought i i, I highly speculated yeah they're going to a three four Look at the coaches they're bringing in. They're bringing in coaches that have coached in Lebeau's system. They're bringing in coaches that have coached in transition years for yep. a lot of teams. So they, they have the coaches that have the experience in, in moving to a 3-4. They still don't really have the personnel for it, right? And we'll see. Maybe maybe the first round of the draft will give us some insight there. But speaking of the first round of the draft, Ben Albright yesterday tweeted. Somebody tweeted Ben Albright. Give me a hint for the Bengals. And he said, and this is clever, you Haskins me a question? I don't want to be Bush League about it, but there are several guys. So it's ah. it's Dwayne Haskins and Devin Bush that are the guys that are on the Bengals' radar, according to Ben Albright, who is generally right about these things. However, as Ian Rappaport points out, the Bengals have done homework and they've met with some of these QBs at their pro days. They've watched a lot of these QBs at their pro days. They met with Daniel Jones at the Combine, but the only QB they've actually brought in is Ryan Finley from NC State. And that's first let's talk about Finley, right? Uh, on our spreadsheet where we put together everything from tape to production to athleticism and PFF grades and yada, 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 uh, he grades pretty well for us. He comes out as the fourth overall quarterback ahead of Drew Locke and Daniel Jones. So the biggest red flag we have on him is that he's 24 years old, same as Will Greer, and that puts him in – very slim territory to be anything more than a, a career backup or spot starter. Yeah. But having said that, his, you know, on tape, he's, he's okay. He makes a lot of big plays, a lot of big throws. Uh, I was okay with him on tape, but his production score is pretty good. Uh, he's got good size at, at 6'4", 213, nine and a half inch arms. PFF really liked him the last two years of an 89.6 grade as a passer and an 88.9. So very steady. He's not a runner. He's not that type of guy, even though he tested pretty well relative athletic score of a 7.77 and that's the same competition in the acc as daniel jones has and he's graded much better than daniel jones and is better pretty much across the board in pff's metrics except for average depth of target than is daniel jones and you said he had nine and a half inch arms though those were hands of course oh i'm sorry confused, <laughs> listening uh he had uh you know he's an above average athlete the one other flag here that I guess we should mention is the ball velocity thing, but that's a flag for most of the quarterbacks. Yeah. It's in, just under where it needs draft. to be. Yeah. And uh, a he's a three years, right. Three year starter with 3000 snaps. So he is experienced. I think a lot of teams are going to view him in the, I don't want to say second, but I think third round range and view him as a very stable backup type that maybe he turns into Nick Foles down the line. And some people have compared, made that comparison and I can see it when you watch him on tape and that's okay. That's a good backup that can come in and play for you. Now, Nick Foles is the best example of a backup doing something. But the point is, uh, I think he will probably be viewed 
same way Nick Foles was as a prospect, as a mid-round guy in a class that isn't thought to be very strong. And that's not the worst thing, right? right. If, if he comes in and he's a solid backup. And I think that's what you're getting with Finley, especially at 24. That's yeah. that's a big thing about that Finley that's got to be a little bit scary. When you look at the history of 24-year-old quarterbacks drafted, and part of this is that they play probably two or three years less on average than the younger guys because they're coming into the league older. But you get less less career productivity out of those guys. Yep. And it's a, it's not just 24 as a line drawn between 23 and 24. It's a there's trend. very few at 24. It, right, really, exactly. it really picks up at 23. And then for the few guys yep. that come into the league at 24, weirdly this year it looks like there's going to be two or three of them. Yep. Uh, it, it really falls off. Yeah, the other one being Will Greer and Trace McSorley. But right. you see even at 23, it starts to drop. And that's Brett Ripien is the other one. Uh, and there's a couple other guys. Jarrett Stidham, Stidham and Minshew. Minshew and Thorson. Clayton Thorson. Yeah. So you'd want to draft a 21, 22-year-old if you can. Now, Andy Dalton was an older prospect, 23 when drafted. And that's turned out already. But as we can see, we're eight years in. He's already turning 32. And we're like, man, you know, where'd the time go? And so it's not so much about the second contract even though I just made that point, because I remember having this conversation on Twitter with people. And I said, well, who do, what do you care? Quarterbacks are playing later than ever. Yeah, it's not about that. It's not about the second or third contract or how long their career is going to be. It's about the met, the metrics, the, the statistics, the history shows the older the quarterback, the worse off their chances of being anything special are. And, and like with all the factors we talk about on this podcast, none of these things are make or break factors in a vacuum, right? These are all right. just data points that you put into the black box you put into your 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 calculation algorithm. your algorithm right this is what we're trying to this is actually something that we're working on in the spreadsheet this year is we're, we're putting in all these different data points and including including tape right like we're not yeah. we're not ignoring tape we're not just going off of what the numbers mm-hmm. say but we're we're using all of these different data points we're throwing them into a spreadsheet we're trying to come up with a proper way to weight them all to give us a good idea of here's a good risk, here's somebody we think is is quote unquote a safe pick, and I, I don't know how close we'll get to that. This is the first year we've really tried this sort of project, but right. it's it's a first step in doing what other people are doing around around the NFL, around the internet right now. You look at Hayden Wink's uh, retweet from Joe uh, puts together very similar information. This is over at Roto World, a list of. Let's throw every every analytic we have into into a spreadsheet and get a top 300. Yeah, you'll find that on my timeline. Take your time and read that and try to understand. Like cause a lot of people are still, you know, coming into the why analytics are important and, and read that, read it, you know, and, and see why he says for a big receiver, this these are the metrics you want to look at. For a small receiver, these are the metrics you want to look at. And they're predictive. It's not that you view them as necessarily – I want this trait in my guy. It's that it's had predictive success for that position or or that type of player. So that's why they're being used. Uh, and I, I would say also look at Derek Clawson's, uh quarterback. Oh, it's spreadsheet. so good. I love it. Yeah, it got. I retweeted that yesterday. You look if you look forward. I, I talk about uh, he Dwayne Haskins looks like Philip Rivers, and I've used Philip Rivers a couple times for Haskins because I think on the upside that's that's who he could possibly be. That's definitely the way I remember Rivers at NC State uh, going through his last. Uh, last year completing 72 percent of his passes or whatever and just super efficient wasn't a great mover uh didn't do well out of the pocket and i would say those things are very similar to haskins just super efficient in his offense and uh really not great outside of it and one of the most interesting things on haskins in Derek classen's charting is 
he thinks that Haskins was actually pretty good under pressure and had pretty good accuracy outside of the pocket. And the reason that it's interesting is because the narrative is Dwayne Haskins, when he, and we've talked about it, when he goes out of the pocket, when he's thrown on the run, it doesn't look good. But Derek Klassen's charted 300, 400 throws and says his accuracy outside of the pocket is good and his accuracy under pressure is good. Maybe his grade from PFF isn't great under pressure, but, you know, if he's if he's accurate under pressure and this is from an individual's eyes charting, you know, well. But even as individual, Derek's numbers come pretty close to what PFF's thought also and yeah. in terms of accuracy. And when you watch him, that's the first thing that really comes out to me is I thought – he moves well in the pocket and remains accurate, even though he has to uh, from the pocket. And I mean, when I mean accuracy, accuracy isn't just hitting your target; it's leading him into the right area, leading him away from from guys, not making a receiver make an adjustment where it kills his his yak opportunity. And when you look at Derek's uh, data, it says that receivers don't have to adjust to Haskins' balls a lot. And I think I saw that definitely. So when I saw that 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 metric for him, and I thought, yeah, that's exactly what I saw on tape. That's great. I'm glad to see this that it backs it up. Um, and other people have talked about Ohio State's receivers really were nothing near before, and all of a sudden they're really good and thought of yak-type guys, Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin, uh, and all of a sudden McLaurin's getting deep and, and Campbell turns into a, a guy that's a could potential first-round pick, and you got to think that's what good quarterbacks do to their receivers. And we're talking about Haskins a lot lately because that seems to really be being pushed or at least a common thought through the national mock drafts. And honestly, if I – People keep asking me, Joe, what's the scenario where they take Haskins? And I I look at it, and I think we've run into it a few times, especially during mock draft Mondays and things like that, where it's like, yeah, do you want to take the second tier of prospects, or do you say this is a perfect example or perfect opportunity to take a shot at a quarterback and take one that maybe – because in my, my opinion, Haskins has flaws on tape. But at a young age – and it, had he have played one more year at Ohio State and produced the same way. Now, that doesn't always happen, right? We've seen guys go back and not produce similar yep. to, to the way they, they did the year before. Well, he would be losing Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin. Right, and so who knows how, that'll, how that would affect him and some offensive linemen. But if Haskins was able to maintain similar production for two years in a row, there's no doubt in my mind he goes top five, oh, and yeah. it's not. It doesn't become a debate. You say, yeah, he's got flaws, but you know what? He overcomes those flaws because those same flaws are existing in a lot of really good quarterbacks. But they are so good at the other parts of their game that you're like, it doesn't matter because he doesn't get exposed that often because he's so good at, at in the mental and in accuracy and and anticipation and touch and movements in the pocket. And if and if that's how he, you know, I'm thinking of a Drew Brees. If if you get to that point where you're just so good at everything else. Those other factors really don't drag your game down. So for me, taking a Haskins a year early before he has the opportunity to do that back-to-back, sure, it's a risky bet because one-year starters are risky, but it's a bet that could pay off that you end up taking a top-five quarterback, top-five pick-worthy quarterback in a year where maybe you end up winning seven games and picking 15, 16, 17th, I'm talking 2019, and you want to have the opportunity to make that same pick. Yeah. It's actually fascinating when we talk about the ability for Dwayne Haskins to place the ball in a place where his receivers don't have to slow down. You look at Paris Campbell's stats this year. He averaged 8.9 yards after catch and a total of 11.8 yards per catch. So he was catching the ball on average, you know, three yards downfield and taking it another nine yards after that. Yeah. Or two yards downfield. And I, you remember talking... It was around playoff time last year, and someone said, and someone from PFF said, 
Tom Brady is the best check down thrower in the history of of the sport. And that's not a negative because he allows so many of these guys to get yards after the catch underneath that, uh, it, you know, it's because of his ball placement, anticipation and touch, leading receiver to the open area. When you watch Haskins, you see flashes of that of, man, he's really helping these receivers out. Mm-hmm. Terry McLaurin, on the other hand, was the Ohio State deep guy, of course. He mm-hmm. had 10 catches on deep passes, had... 353 almost probably had about half his yards on deep catches and actually ranked third in the draft class in deep pass catch rate at 71.4%. And I've just thinking about Haskins recently too because I watched him yesterday. Uh not intentionally. I was watching a Michigan State defensive back Justin Lane, a guy I really like and uh and I watched the game versus Ohio State and I thought that was a game that Haskins struggled in but watching it from the other side and focusing on the other side there were some throws where i said yeah you're just not gonna not gonna defend that you know that's a that's a well-placed ball and there's a few of those when you watch haskins tape yeah uh, and i guess this is a Dwayne haskins podcast today we're gonna take a break we'll come back with our next second round matchup in mock madness which guess what Dwayne haskins is featured today so i guess it's a good thing we spent all that time talking about him against the Offensive lineman, the only offensive lineman still remaining, I believe, in our Mock Madness series, Jonah Williams. So we'll be back after the break to take you into Mock Madness round two. This is Ross Jackson from Locked on Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car. That's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made the purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door, or you can go and pick it up from one of the coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy, ensuring that you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check it out, the nation's fastest growing auto retailer at Carvana.com, C-A-R-V-A-N-A.com, Carvana.com. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? Nah, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with MyBookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit match halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. 
Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. Support for this podcast comes from The First One with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is The First One. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. It's almost like sometimes before you even get in the industry, it's like you set up to fail. And there's so many moments where you can win. And the winning is great, but it's so many things that you go through to get to the win. And so much more who tell their stories about the first hits that took them to the next level, changed their life, overlooked to being overbooked. When I was recording the song, I already knew it was going to be a global hit. And I'm not joking, my G. I really felt it inside of me. I was like, I just can't wait to see a number one. Join me every Thursday with the first one drops only on Amazon Music. Let's go. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We're kind of just shooting the shit today and, and thinking of the excitement with a week away to the NFL draft and the reports and rumors that come out. I think in the last week are the most fun for me to go through. I'm just look, scrolling through Twitter as we're uh, as we're t- talking and, and discussing and Seeing some of the things that, that come across, and Lance Zerline and Pete Prisco both in the last day saying Ed Oliver is going to go way higher than I think what we thought a month ago. And it's kind of funny because here's a guy that many thought was going to go top five anyway, right? And then so top five freak athlete type guy somehow falls into the teens through the through the draft process, tests like a freak athlete like everyone expects, and now is back in the top five. So it's funny to me because we had our mock madness poll yesterday was Ed Oliver versus Josh Allen. And currently you guys are all in on Ed Oliver for the most part, 66% to 34% leading for Oliver, which is actually one of the closer polls we've had, but still Oliver's winning in a landslide in that one. And a couple other things from the uh, smokescreen machine that is the week before the draft is Pete Prisco also said, uh, expect Devin White and Devin Bush to be gone in the top 15. So while we talked about Benjamin Albright's tweet of it'll be Haskins or Bush, or at least he feels that way, for the Bengals at 11, if the Bengals don't go with Devin Bush, somebody else probably will in that top 15. So it doesn't feel like a reach when you know other teams are also involved in it. And I think that helps helps you feel comfortable with taking a guy that uh, – and I think we've all become more comfortable with Devin Bush anyway, but – you definitely feel more comfortable to know that someone else will take him. And it won't be the Steelers at 20, so he won't get there, which I just thought of. But he also, Pete Prisco goes on to say uh, Devin White to the Bucks or Raiders, which are the fourth and fifth picks. What we've thought too, right? That's, Recently, that's, yeah. And if the that's the case, weeks. definitely. If that's the case, it's really going to put pressure on. Because uh, we've run into this scenario, Jake, where – and it, and it happened in the Lockdown Network podcast, or, or the the mock member, and Devin White and Devin Bush are both gone in the top 10. And I think that's definitely the scenario where we could see Dwayne Haskins as a Bengal. And, you know, if you take that linebacker right off the table, that, that's not even an option. You start to debate other things, and that leads us into our 
today our our mock madness matchup is Dwayne Haskins versus Jonah Williams. So I could see that scenario definitely playing out where they have to choose between somebody that is a premium position. I think left tackle would be, and Jonah Williams in my mind would end up playing tackle versus the chance to take a quarterback that's not a complete prospect, but one that is young and has the upside, as we've said. And if you debate that on do we build around this team right now at a position that may not fully start in 2019, talking about tackle, or do you take that investment year at the quarterback position? This poll question is going to reveal to us how many of our listeners are Andy Dalton people yeah. and how many of our listeners want a new quarterback. Unless unless our listeners just don't like Jonah Williams and he's not their first offensive tackle, but he beat Jawan Taylor. He did, and Andre Dillard lost to Devin White, which makes sense. But uh, right, so right now we're saying Jonah Williams is the guy we want based on the fan base. It in terms seems, of tackles. It seems like your favorite tackle, listeners of the Lockdown Bengals podcast, is Jonah Williams. It seems he is like seventeenth on, on our spreadsheet right now overall. Yeah. Wayne Haskins is twenty one, so without, you know, positional value adjustments, right? right? Yeah. Cause you would say quarterback, and I made this argument yesterday, quarterback probably should be on a separate board. Do you think he's a franchise guy or not? And you go from there. But I, uh, I think you just need to adjust, you know, you need to assign positional value weights, right? And quarterback is like a two and maybe offensive tackles a 1.4. Still a premium position, whereas a running back might be a 0. 0.8. And okay, let's say, say a linebacker is a one. So you, you assign all these different weights to the different positions. And I'm sure there's a, a mathematical way you could figure it out. That was just me shooting off right. from the hip. But a quarterback's going to have the biggest positional value multiplier by a lot. On offense, then, who quarterback's number one for importance, right? What oh, yeah. is number two? It's probably tackles. Yeah. I, I, even think. Think, I think center can even get in there in the discussion. Because I think that's, that's left and right. If you've got a tackle, that's only left or right. I, I think that the reason I would say it's not center is because, and this is pretty evident in PFF data, centers have a pretty easy job in pass blocking. Yeah. And so if if you're going to put centers up there, then that's a lot of the not, you know, before, after the whistle stuff. It's, and I think it's, it's setting, protect, nope. setting protections and communicating yeah, up exactly. and down the line and, Yep. And, and then and then it's run blocking because that that's the real challenge for center when pa- pass blocking centers have it pretty pretty easy relative to the rest of the offensive line. Yeah, and I was going to say it's definitely evident that teams don't value center the same way, especially in the NFL draft. The highest guys go twenty twenty one, and where tackles are premium or considered premium picks. One of those guys go. that went twenty twenty one last year, one of them was a center who wasn't very good. The other one got moved to guard. Yeah, right. And I've looked at that. We looked at that when we talked about Billy Price a lot when we did our offensive line review, that a lot of times teams that draft centers put them at guard for a year to get them, you know, to be ready to. And I think it's the mental aspect. Yeah, I think so. But I would say it goes quarterback, probably tackles, maybe receiver, maybe back to the offensive line, maybe tight end in there somewhere. Yeah, I can see receiver being number three. Yeah, Receiver being number three because you can tilt an entire defense if you have that guy and but if it's you like, don't it's receiver or tight end i think that they're probably close really close i might even put tight end above yeah i might even put tight end above receiver just because of the blocking aspect of the game that that's Another, more important closer to the ball 
another tweet from Pete Prisco on the rumor mill that don't be surprised if a receiver doesn't go in the first round of this draft. Yeah, I was going to mention that one earlier. Uh, the other thing, speaking of Terry McLaurin, I mentioned him earlier. He is in Cincinnati visiting the Bengals today. Full Forgot circle. to mention that. Uh, anyway, we're talking about Dwayne Haskins and Jonah Williams here. Talking yeah. about positional value is the, is the way we got on this tangent. And I think clearly quarterback is the highest positional value on an NFL team in, in sports, probably. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Yeah. yeah no, it be. is. It's not it close. Is. Can't be close. So Because even if it's pitcher, they don't, you know, they're one, starting once every five games. If it's goalie, I think goalie has a huge effect in, in, in hockey, yeah. basketball. It could be any positions. The, the superstar in hockey. Yeah, basketball is just like LeBron right. James. <laughs> right. Now, is LeBron more important than Tom Brady? Now, that's a, that's a, that's a discussion. Uh, huh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think there's an answer. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about. Well, I'm gonna say no. And, really? And here's why. I think the best basketball player of all time versus the best quarterback of all time. You got to go the quarterback. And I and I, before you guys get my mentions, I, I'm a Michael Jordan guy. But I just think when you talk about greatest, you know, generational basketball player versus generational quarterback. Obviously, those teams aren't winning without LeBron, but LeBron and maybe is part of a decline, but he couldn't get the Lakers over the hump this year, and it's not like the Lakers should have been that bad on paper. I don't sure. know. I'm not a basketball expert. I'm a football podcast person, and Tom Brady has won six Super Bowls? Yeah. I mean, that's as many as organizations have won, and, and Tom Brady's done it in one career. But to get back to Haskins versus Jonah Williams, this is the focus of the second half of this podcast. Yeah. Focus. We talked enough, right? <laughs> that's, that's the least of our uh, objectives today. But we already talked about Haskins enough. Jonah Williams is, in my opinion, a very safe prospect. I wish he had a better draft process in terms of coming athletic in with just average, profile. Yeah, average size, average athleticism, and we've seen a lot of guys because he's really good on tape, and you see the mentality and and the technique and the chip on his shoulder. A lot of guys like him in his profile will succeed and have succeeded in, in the NFL. I just think you're taking a, a bet against – and surprisingly, everyone will say this that looks at this stuff. Surprisingly, athleticism is big for offensive line prospects. And oh, yeah. the 40-yard dash can be very predictive. Why? I don't know, but it is. And you may say 40 doesn't matter for offensive linemen. Well, it's had great predictive success on it. And so you only end up with at tackle, and we've talked about this before with shuttle times, it's Andre Dillard standing alone at tackle as the guy saying he's an elite athlete. He can end up being Jason Peters for you, and that's that's what you want. Other than you can, you can pull out three or four guys that seem very similar, Brian Bulaga, Joe Staley, David Bakhtiari, for – Jonah Williams and say, I hope he's that. And he looks like that and he tests like that and measures like that for the most part. Uh, he's, you know, a little under those guys in a lot of ways. But at the same time, on tape, Jonah Williams looks like a stud tackle or even guard. And I think if he even got kicked into guard, he's probably a Pro Bowl guard. And he was a five star recruit as well. Uh, if you care about high school productivity, and I know that some of the analytics do take into account the high school profile, the high school career. He was the number two tackle in the 2016 recruiting class behind Greg Little, who's also, of course, in this draft class. If you care about pedigree, his mother was an all-state tennis player in high school and his father was an offensive lineman. So, he's got an it. athletic pedigree. Uh 
And we've talked about some of the concerns, but he is technically refined. And I guess one other thing you could talk about is Alabama doesn't necessarily actually have a great reputation of churning out quality offensive tackles that go on to have success in the NFL. If you look at the list of Alabama players in the NFL right now, there's one offensive tackle on the list, Cam Robinson. That's it. Yeah, you think of guys that have also been first and high second round picks, Andre Smith. Uh, uh, would Cyrus Quanjo go that high? I don't think so. But um, Well, people also were talking about him before the draft yeah. process. Because, and then he bombed. Yeah. And then what was the other one? DJ Fluker. And all have been mixed kind of results. I'm thinking of one, there's one other guy too who plays for the Seahawks and the Jets, I want to say. Who is it? Was a late first rounder. I believe you're referring to James Carpenter, who's now with the Atlanta Falcons, listed as as a guard at this point in his career, was drafted with the 25th pick of the first round in 2011 by the Seattle Seahawks. That's it. Yep, you're a genius. Um, I think this poll's going to go the way I suspect it's going to go. What do you think? Yeah. I think Dwayne Haskins is going to win. Like I said, I think this is a referendum on Andy Dalton more than anything. You know what, though? Also, I don't think it has to be because I – with discussing with people, I've been on the they should take a shot at a quarterback for a few years now. And a lot of people are on that were against it or opposed to it understand that, yeah, they've wasted some first-round picks or at least rookie year on first-round picks. It's always been, well, they need this or they need that, need that before they can take a quarterback. And then next year, there's always more needs, more needs the next year, the following year. It doesn't matter. You, every year, you got a handful of needs. That's and, how the NFL works. Right. And those same guys, I think, comes around to – yeah, they, they probably should have pulled the trigger on one of those quarterbacks just to do it, just to see if there's something there because you're never going to have a complete team for Andy Dalton. That's the truth. And, uh, you know, when you factor in age and, and and salary and eventual contract coming up and the opportunity that may be at hand if a quarterback is there that they like at 11, you don't get that all the time. And well, and then you got guys like Logie who will send you a list of all the quarterbacks that have come into the league since Andy Dalton was drafted, and you'll say, how many of these guys would you take over Andy Dalton? Well, you also look at, and I did this, I looked at the numbers of all the guys drafted in the first three rounds, basically, in that same time frame. Uh, and I think it went back to 2012, yeah. And uh, and it was about 50-50. You have about a 50-50 chance of getting the same production you get from Andy Dalton. Now people say, well, why would you want that? Well, you also get it for at a much cheaper cost for four right. years if you can if you can do it. Uh, so get the same production, which would be like getting Jared Goff, making $10 million less a year would be a good thing. That would be an upside. That would be an improvement based on, you know, the structure of your team. But that other 50%, you, I mean, I'm sorry, the other 50% is that it's a bust and it doesn't work out for you. But there is also a small percentage that you end up getting a better player. Right. And that is what everyone is looking for. And, and it's a small chance, but it's... You have to take those chances in the NFL. I mean, you look at the teams that are trading up for quarterbacks. Sometimes it doesn't work, but when it does work, well. It's worth it. And you have to look at – people assume drafting a tackle is a safe pick, but they have a pretty good bust rate right now. Every position it, has a crazy bust rate, right? Like right. No matter what you're doing, and it was just yesterday, James Coburn said, you have a 10% chance of hitting on a draft pick. That's probably higher in the first round, probably higher the closer you get to number one overall. But the point is, the NFL and Twitter and whoever you like, whoever your favorite draft expert is, is not good at predicting success from college football to the professional football league, to that national football league. 
And that's why even getting 50-50 for a quarterback is huge lately. And it's because I think the game, the college game and NFL game have gotten so close together and the rules have helped that you should expect good quarterback production. And that's why even getting a 50-50 rate on that of getting an Andy Dalton is pretty damn good right now. It's, it's Quarterback is one of the safest things to draft over the last since 2011, since the, the last CBA. And the game has changed since then in ways uh, from structure, salary cap, to the actual game on the field. So quarterback has been a pretty safe pick. And while, Bengals fans are spoiled too, right? Like you've got are. two quarterbacks drafted in the first two rounds in the last 17 years. And have gotten good production. And they, yeah, they've gone on to be pro bowlers. Right. It's to, So to think that the next guy... You kind of feel like you are on borrowed time, right? That the next pick may this is the one. This will be the one that's going to set us back to the '90s. You're almost scared to do it. Well, there's also the same fear of of moving up from Marvin Lewis, right? So it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's like leaving your job or leaving a, a bad relationship with a significant other, and then you end up being better off for it if it works out. And if not, then screw it. We're picking top five and taking a quarterback in two years, anyways. Trevor Lawrence, let's go. Trevor Lawrence hype trade. Whoop whoop. I think we have sufficiently rambled our way through this podcast, Joe. Go vote. Would you rather have a quarterback in the first round who may be a 50% bust, or would you rather have an offensive tackle who may also be a 50% bust and also probably wouldn't play in year one? Paul Daner actually today I think was talking about uh, Bobby Hart's contract not guaranteeing him to start. I don't know if I agree with Paul there, but he says – that the Bobby Hart contract is the quote-unquote going rate for a swing tackle, low-end starter tackle. Uh, I, and that that might be true when you look at his annual average value, but it's it's a guy that made a million dollars last year, and right. as far as we know, there weren't people lining up for it. So maybe maybe he is being paid as a swing guy. The point, maybe, though, he's getting $7.4 this year. In this year. Right. But the cap number isn't that big. I don't know. I'm just saying, no, the, like, there's there's, there's an argument to be made, obviously, and Paul Danner's made this argument, that that's not money that guarantees he's starting. If they, if they draft a tackle who... If they end up drafting a tackle with their first overall pick, I think it's fair to say there's going to be a competition. Yeah. And the, other point, the other point that I think is important is that Cordy Glum making it through a season healthy yeah, is a bad thing. Exactly. Man. That's what I we used that point last week. I think that if you drafted, let's say Jonah Williams, they ha, they missed time at left guard, right guard, center, left tackle, and right tackle last year. They all missed time throughout the year. Jonah could play four of those positions, yeah. and you know he would get playing time of, of some sort somewhere. In the same way, Andrew Whitworth wasn't drafted as a starter, but he found playing time that rookie year, and, and it, it showed them that hey. This guy's going to be our, our franchise left tackle eventually. So uh, that's that would be the goal. Is if you're still taking him, you're going to figure out where he's going to play afterwards. You're drafting a good player, and that's the idea. Yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for the Locked On Bengals podcast. Go vote. Tell us who you want, Dwayne Haskins or Jonah Williams. We'll see if you want a quarterback. We'll see, we'll see how much on a quarterback train our listenership is, how much of we, the quarterback thirsty – have tainted you or corrupted <laughs> your minds or, or maybe we haven't use your minds use independent thought this has been the lockdown bengals podcast have a good one bengals fans and don't forget to get your mailbag questions in by tomorrow so we can answer them on the final podcast of the week and if you haven't tried the himalaya app yet it'll blow your friggin' mind it's got four and a half stars out of five on the google play store
you stay classy, Cincinnati. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wild-card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.